This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. So let's get into this conversation and it has been um you know something that has been in the news for quite some time this rand manipulation conversation. We speak to the fin- financial journalist Maya Fisher French just for clarity as to what exactly is happening. And she'll also explain why currency manipulation is not the cause of long-term RAND weakness. Maya, good morning and thanks so much for your time. Yes, good morning. So Maya, where are we getting it wrong? What exactly happened with this RAND manipulation? I think there's, it's on many levels. Um, I just think to, to understand and to unpack it, because it is complex. This stuff's not easy to understand unless perhaps you're a forex trader, for example. <laughs> So um, I think what's very important to understand is this happened, um, you know, I, th- I think this sort of happened between 2007 and 2013. So, so this was sort of discovered, you know, a while ago. This is, this is not something new. In fact, it's, it's sort of just coming back into, into conversation now, but it's not, not something new. And it wasn't the RAND being manipulated. It was all, a lot of currency pairs. In fact, probably the one that was most affected would be the dollar euro because that's one of the most traded in the world. And what it is is what forex traders do every single day. If they see an arbitrage opportunity, they quickly take it, okay? And in this particular scenario, what happened was a whole lot of traders um, colluded around discussing where, where the, the currency prices were going to go. So this is going to get a little bit technical. Um, if you want to go and really do some in-depth reading, um, invest, uh, Investopedia has got a really great explanation. But just in summary, what was happening was at four o'clock every day in London, the price of the currency is set. Whatever currency it could be, the grand dollar, the dollar euro, the dollar yen. Okay, so that around the world, you know, if you go and you look and say, what was the what was the, the dollar to the euro on that date? That's the fixed price. Okay, that's called the fix. Now, if you had for knew that there was going to be a whole lot of sales of euro, people selling euro to buy dollar, for example, you would know then that the, the, the euro would weaken, may weaken just fractionally. And if you have that foreknowledge, you're able then to, um, for example, you'll be able to say buy dollars um, just before, before that weakness, uh, which basically means you sh- you're shorting um, the euro, and you'd be able to buy euro back at a weaker price. So with that amount of information, these guys were colluding. They'd say, I have a huge order. I've got maybe... A $500 million uh, order to, to all, 500 million um, euro order to sell euro and buy dollars. And they would communicate this. And then they'd all hold back their trades so that they could trade knowing that the price was going to weaken um, at, by, at four o'clock. So it was all really about discussing their trades and knowing that they could perhaps make a little bit of money on the side. And we're talking, when I talk about how the, <laughs> the currency moved, we're talking maybe a quarter of a cent difference, okay, so that they would be able to sort of buy, by knowing that this, that all these euro were going to be sold and would probably weaken the euro by a quarter of a cent, that's the kind of numbers we're talking about. But when you're trading in millions and millions and millions of dollars, obviously a quarter of a cent can make you maybe $500,000 profits. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about trades on a very specific day, um, and we're talking marginal fractions of cents um, that these guys were doing. So the people who got really for want of a better word, with the customers. Because if you're a big, for example, you're a big um, importer and you were placing a huge order to buy dollars and you could have got the dollars at a better rate, but because of these guys, you know, colluding and all of that, you, you got a worse rate by maybe 25, you know, a quarter of a cent uh, on your cent, mm-hmm. um, then, you know, you, you lost out. So it was more about the clients who lost out. That doesn't, that doesn't explain.
explain why the rand would go from 10 rand to 20 rand over the last 10 years. And I think that's just to understand that. And it, we somehow we've managed to put these two together and come up with, with a very, very different story. So wh- what did that then do to the rand? Did it make it weaker? No, it had no influence on the actual rand. It was just at that moment, the guys were able to arbitrage effectively and, and make a little bit of money on the side. So the rand weakness has nothing to do with with those trades, with those tiny fractional trades that these guys were doing and making a little bit of money off their clients. The rand weakness has to do with there's quite a few a few things that 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 have an, that impact a currency. So just things that are perhaps a little bit out of control. Um, right now, for example, the dollar is uh, is quite strong relative to its history. And that's because of interest rates. So the dollar, um, the Federal Reserve in the U.S. has put interest rates up substantially, which has made dollar um, um, investments uh, more, you know, the, the interest-bearing dollar investments more attractive. So more money has gone to, to into the U.S. dollar. And when things, it's demand and supply, more people want dollars, so the dollar price has gone up. So dollar is actually quite strong, is actually very strong across all currencies, not just the South African rand. And then there's also inflation. So we run, we have historically run about a 5% inflation difference between America and South Africa. That's about the difference. Mm-hmm. So our goods and services go up by 5% more than they do in America. And over time, that will, your, your currency will adjust to what we call purchasing power parity. So just to give you a very, very brief example, say, for example, you were selling a good in South Africa for 10 rand, and at that time, the dollar was, it was one rand, one dollar for 10 rand. Mm-hmm. So you were paying $1 for that. Because of inflation, maybe 15 years later, your um, item is now costing 20 rand. But that, that's the South African inflation rate. So it's gone from 10 to 20 rand over 15 years. But the exchange rate is $1 to 20 rand. You're still paying $1 for the same item. Do you see what I mean? So the inflation mm-hmm. should really work itself into the, into the system. You shouldn't really feel it that much. The big issue in South Africa is actually demand for rents. So everyone knows if you're trying to sell a car or you're trying to sell a house and no one wants it, you have to drop the price. And that's really where we're sitting at the moment in South Africa. And this is what the uncomfortable narrative. <laughs> and the first is that, you know, um, we used to historically um, before 2020, for example, foreigners accounted for about 70% of purchasing government bonds. So the South African government bonds, they would buy about 70% of them would be foreign purchased. That figure this year is only 13%. So foreigners do not want South African assets. They're not buying them. And if you're not buying South African assets, you're not buying rands. Mm. Okay, so there's no demand for rands. Mm. Then you have the South African um, asset managers who were able to increase the amount of, of money they took offshore for pension funds, raising it went from, I think, 30% to, to 45%. And we've now seen that the average offshore allocation um, of these funds has gone from 28% to 40%, which means that, They've been selling rands, right? So you've got people not buying rands, you've got people selling rands. Um, and then you've got our exports. Our exports have really um, decreased substantially, partly because commodity prices have gone down and we're a big commodity exporter, but also because of things like load shedding and we can't get stuff out our ports. So we're not selling our goods. Um, mm-hmm. And if we can't sell our goods, people are not buying rands. These are the things that weaken our currency over the long term. You know, some 
you know, a couple of traders making a couple, you know, a quarter of a of a, a quarter of the cent of a, on a cent on a one trade. You know what I mean? Is not, and those are two so very, very, very different things. Um, and I think it's important to understand that because I think it's so easy to sit there and say, oh, there's currency manipulation and all these things. No, it's much, much tougher than that. It, it says people don't want to buy South Africa, and that is the problem. So. Then explain to us, Maya, why people are so upset with the banks. Because it's an easy narrative. <laughs> it's a very easy narrative. And in fact, I, I think I, I've written an article which will be in City Press tomorrow, which explains all of this, by the way, mm. if, if anyone wants to go and read it. Um, and I think banks, and, and I, in my column, I actually wrote that. I said people love to hate banks. I think that's actually what I've, I've called my article. Because banks are this touch point, right? Banks are the rich people's money. Banks, when they lend money to me, they screw me over, they charge me all this interest. They charge me bank fees. Um, I don't like banks. People don't generally, they love banks when, you know, I suppose that they're saving maybe, but even then they feel like they're not getting enough interest rates. But generally, generally speaking, if I, and I actually made this comment, if I post something negative about a bank, like I'm I promise my timeline is full of people agreeing with me and telling me all their war stories. If I say something positive about a bank, then I'm accused of colluding with the banks and being in the pockets of the banks. People just don't like banks. Um, and I think somehow, and I, you know, whether or not there is another hole, and I was telling you from my timeline this last week, I suspect there is another whole uh, political thing behind all of these narratives, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, because they got quite wild this last week. Um, as you know, there's a narrative that the banks are, you know, the private sector is destroying our economy and the banks are part of the problem. And, and they're using this very, this thing that has got nothing to do with it to, to sort of conflate the arguments. So I think that's why, and, I, and that's why I felt so strongly that I needed to write this article because I'd been at a lunch party and a woman was sitting there saying, oh, I believe our currency is weak because of random manipulation. And I was like, no, 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 no. And then I realized that, that this is the narrative that's out there. Hmm. An interesting thing indeed, Maya. Thank you so much for your time and really for helping us understand what actually <laughs> took place with this RAND manipulation. Great. And please, I really encourage people to read independent, go and read the actual information rather than, than what you're reading on social media, because I think it's, 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 we're in dangerous territory when people start believing this kind of stuff. Mm. Um, yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> and thanks for the clarity. I mean, you've really helped us quite um, a lot here. Thank you so much. Great. All right. Thanks. Maya Fisher-French, financial journalist, speaking to us and clarifying to us what happened with this RAND manipulation, but also why people are upset then with the banks, with what has transpired. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.